This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Psalm 55, we're going to start in verse number 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me, and mourn in my complaint and make a noise, because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. You talk about a guy who's going through a rough spot, you find David here. He admits, everybody around me hates my guts, and not only is it bad, it's gotten worse because fear, trembling, and horror has overwhelmed me. So if you ever feel overwhelmed, just know that you're, you're never alone. Verse number six, I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. That phrase, uh, word Selah there, in the, you often find it in the Psalms, basically means because the Psalms were poetry and they were sometimes sang as songs, that word Selah means stop and pause and think on what we've just said. And so it's a good opportunity to stop and reflect on God's goodness, that word Selah. Verse number eight, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I've seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For for it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Either was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. So here he says in this passage here from verses 10 through 14 here, the person who hurt me wasn't an enemy, otherwise I would have fought him. It wasn't somebody who was trying to get over on me or hurt me, otherwise I would have ran from them. This was a friend that was really close to me. This was somebody who I loved and respected and spent time with, and this is a person who uh, I had a relationship with, and they actually hurt me as a result of that. And again, I think all of us can identify with David in that aspect. Verse 15, let death seize upon them and let them go down and quick into hell. And wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. For as for me, I will call upon the Lord and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. He had delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such and be at pe- that be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Again, he has a person that he loves dearly who hurt him, who even appeared on the surface to be a friend, to be kind, to be loving and compassionate, but actually their motives were wrong and they were actually seeking to hurt instead. Verse 22 is a great promise from God's word. You should circle this. You should start this. You should underline this in your Bible. You should probably commit this to memory. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in thee. It's a normal human response when we're faced with difficulty or uncertainty or when when trials come out of nowhere to immediately begin to fear. Now, fear itself is not necessarily a sin, the emotion of fear. Uh, God's given us the emotion of fear that keeps us alive. Uh, For example, you're walking down the street late at night and you hear footsteps behind you. Your heart uh, rate goes up and you begin to be very aware of your surroundings. That's a good type of fear that keeps you alive. But the bad type of fear is the fear that fears when there's no need of danger. There's no presence of danger and no need to be be fearful. And while it's not a sin to experience the emotion of fear, it's always a sin to live a life of fear. 
where we're constantly overwhelmed, overcome with what might happen, what might be coming, and begin to be worried and allow fear and anxiety to overtake us. And that's not God's plan for us. God wants us to walk in courage and walk in faith and walk in boldness. That's God's expectation for us as Christians. But the, but the ability to walk in faith and not fear causes us to call, ask the question, who's really in charge here? And if you think that you're in charge, and the outcomes are based on you and how smart you are and how good you are and how courageous you are, just know this, you will be greatly disappointed with the outcome. But if our faith is in the Lord, the sovereign God of the universe who has planned everything out from eternity past to eter eternity future, who knows your name, who is greatly concerned with your well-being and is seeking to work everything for your good and for his glory to help you to be more like Jesus, then you and I can have courage in times of difficulty, in the midst of storms. We don't have to live a life of fear. But sometimes our problems come and they don't go away really quickly. Sometimes fear comes and we can't seem to get rid of it. We'll take a look at how we unpack that today. But please understand that everything that we're going to talk about today, and I'm talking about everything we're going to talk about today, automatically assumes, just like David, that we have God as our Father. Now, you might say, well, I'm, I was born into this world. Aren't we all God's creations? We are all God's creations for sure, but we are not all part of God's family. That's an important distinction between the two. Well, God has created everything uh, through our family devotions right now. We're going through the book of Genesis chapter number one and talking about God's creation and the things that he's made and how Jesus was there with the Holy Spirit of God and the creation. We see the Trinity even in Genesis chapter one and creation. And while God created everything just like he created the, the birds of the air and the, the animals in the fields and God created all of us, that does not make us part of God's family. It makes us part of God's creation. That's an important distinction. Because according to the Bible in Romans chapter 5, we are not all born as God's children. We're actually born into this world as God's enemies. The Bible says that we're the children of wrath. We're the children of disobedience. And we're not part of God's family automatically. God has one son and one only begotten son, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Anybody else that's a part of God's family has been, get ready for this, adopted. Because we're not automatically born into the family of God. Because you and I are born enemies of God, because we've sinned against God. The Bible says that the baby comes forth from its mother's womb speaking lies. And from the moment that we're born into this world, we have sinned against the holy God. And it's not something that we can just stop doing. It's something that is part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. And it's not a matter of trying to do better or, or try to do away with our sin. It's a matter of making things right with God. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. I've sinned against God, you have too. And because of that, the Bible says not only are we not part of God's family, but we're also in danger of God's punishment and judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. When you and I die, we will stand before a holy God, and we will give an account of our life. And God has already determined, before you take your last breath, whether you'll spend eternity in heaven or hell. Some people think the idea that when I get to heaven, all my good is going to be placed on one side of the scale and all my bad on the other. And if my good outweighs the bad and I lived a, a good life, then that means that I'll go to heaven. That could not be further from the truth. That we're not, we don't go to heaven or hell based on the goodness of what we've done. We don't go to heaven or hell based on our own merits or the things that we've accomplished or anything like that. We go to heaven based on God's righteous judgment. And here's what God says. If you've broken my law, you must die. That's what God says. So I deserve to go to hell because the penalty of my sin, the Bible says, is death. Not just die physically, but die spiritually in a place called hell. That's what I deserve. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, you have reason to fear today because after this comes God's wrath and judgment. That's what, I, that's what we deserve. But God loves you. God loves I so much that he doesn't want us to die and go to hell. He doesn't want us to be separated from him for all of eternity. So because of God's love for us, John chapter 3, verse number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and his name is Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, not die, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says this way, so beautiful. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
You see, I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished instead. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died my death for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus endured the wrath of God on my behalf to make payment for my sin. The Bible says not only my sin, but the sins of the entire world. But here's the catch. You must choose Jesus to pay for your sins. If you want to settle things up with God when you get there, you're more than welcome to do that. I can tell you exactly how it's going to go. Witness to a family member of ours one time, and he said, well, if God's such a loving, merciful God, we'll just work things out like men when we get there. Uh, you have to understand, God is not a man. God is Jehovah, God, creator of the universe, and you've never met anybody like him before. And here's the thing. God's already given us his rules by which he will judge, and we either follow him or we don't. It's, it's interesting to me sometimes people say, well, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. You're absolutely right. I don't have the right to judge you, but God has already given us his scoring card on how he will judge. You're guilty, you deserve hell, or somebody else can pay for you. That person is Jesus Christ. And so if you today would be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can have God as your Father, not as your enemy. That's a massive upgrade. If you'd be willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm putting my full faith and trust in him, and I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus. Faith and repentance, you can be saved today. And here's the most important thing. Jesus is the only way to heaven. John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so if you're going to heaven, it's only by Jesus Christ. But here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And so you need to make sure, friend, that you have a time, a date, a place where you accepted Christ as Savior, where you repented of your sin and you received Jesus Christ, and God became your Father at that moment. Sometimes people say, well, I've kind of always been a Christian. Nobody has always been a Christian, ever. Well, I was born into a Christian home. Your parents might have been Christians, but that doesn't make you Christian. It's not hereditary. So again, you have to make a decision for yourself to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And here's what happens when you do. The Bible says God takes your sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. That all of our iniquities and all of our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. That God gives us a new beginning and a fresh start. The Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. You're now no longer an enemy of God. You're adopted into the family of God and you've got a seat at the table with your family now. And God is now your father. Amen. So this whole psalm of comfort automatically assumes that you have God as your father. Because here's the thing, if God is not your father, you've made yourself an enemy of God, and God is not for you, God is against you. That's heavy. Like, to, to try to go through life and to claw tooth and nail through this life, to just try to make it and know that the creator God of this universe is against you, that's heavy. So you need to make sure that you know that you're saved. But for those of us that are saved, you have a loving father who cares for you, He's looking out for you. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he is ready, standing by to help in whatever way he can. As we look at this passage, we see some really important things that we can learn from this in our own life and apply directly. I always want to encourage you as you read the Bible, read the Bible not just for information, but for application. Anytime you read a passage of Scripture, you should say, hey, what does this mean to me? Because God's Word is not just a bunch of stories. It's just not a history book. It's just not good stuff for religious stuff. The Bible's meant for every single day application. So when we read the Bible, we say, hey, what does this mean to me? So we see in this passage here this morning, first of all, when you find yourself in the midst of difficulty and worry comes, anxiety comes, fear overtakes you, first thing you need to do, first thing you need to do is pour your heart out to God. We see in Psalm 55, verse number one, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me, and I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Before he goes on to list all of the things that are wrong in his life and all the people that are out to get him and all the hurt that he's got, first thing he does is he pours out his heart before God. And he just doesn't say, hey, God, help. You see, verse number three, because of the voice of my enemy, because of oppression and the wicked, for they cast their iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pain within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. God, I am swallowed up in fear. And not just fear. He takes it to the next level. Not just fear and trembling. What does he say? And horror. He's, he's 
beyond fear. And he's not just struggling with it. He says he's overwhelmed. He's overtaken by it. It has absolutely consumed him. And you know what the first thing he does? He just pours his heart out to God. And pouring out your heart to God in the midst of difficulties and trials and suffering and fearful situations is not just a one-time event, but it's a continual running to God time and time and time again. I think of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 said that he had a thorn in the flesh. And man, I've read dozens and dozens of books where people guess about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It was this, it was that. It was uh, physical problems that he was having. It was back problems. It was eye problems. It was uh, people in his life that had hurt him and done him wrong. It was a religious system that had gone sideways and all these different conjectures. And let me just help you with something this morning. When the Bible is vague, hear me out. When the Bible is vague, God was vague on purpose. It wasn't like, huh, I wonder what that was that he was struggling with. Let's just automatically assume that it's his health. No, don't do that. And, and I've, I've, heard, I've heard preachers turn that passage into like, hey, here's how God's going to heal your health, and here's what God's going to do with your health, and things like that. That wasn't the, the case of the passage. Now, does that apply to health? For sure. But it also applies to relational struggles. It also applies to workplace drama. It also applies to things going on in your family because the thorn in the flesh that Paul had, we don't know what it was. It was just something that the devil had sent to purposely hurt Paul. And here's what he said. I besought the Lord thrice that it would depart from me. Three times I asked God that it would get wrong, get, get gone. And again, I don't think, and again, now this is my conjecture at this point. I'll, I'll share that with you. This is just my opinion and interpretation of the text. I don't think Paul says, Lord, take my thorn in the flesh. Lord, take my thorn in the flesh. Lord, take my thorn in the flesh. Amen. And he says, I asked God three times to take it away. I think it was probably three seasons of Paul begging God time and time again, God, please take this away from me because I don't want it anymore. Whatever the case, whether it's three times in one day or it's three seasons over his lifetime, but here's the thing. He kept going back to God again and again and again. He didn't just say, well, I prayed about it and so I think I'm good at this point. No, he kept going back to God he kept pouring out his heart before God, kept crying out to God. And I would encourage you to, as you pour out your heart before God, cry aloud to him. We see in the Bible, time and time again, especially in the Psalms, where the psalmist says, I cried out to God. Now, certainly you can pray, and you can pray in your head, and you can whisper. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you, know, you don't have to, uh, that you have to pray out loud, otherwise God doesn't hear. It's not what it says. But here's the thing, there's something special about audibly, with your voice, saying, God, I need some help here. And crying out audibly, not just a whispered prayer, but like really talking to God, like, he, like, like God can hear you, because he can. We see again in, in the Psalms, time and time again, Psalm chapter 3, verse number 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. Why? Because God wants to hear you cry out for him. Think about this for a second. We sang some songs this morning. Why didn't we just listen to somebody else sing? Because we lifted our voice to God to give him glory. We lifted our voice to God in worship. We lifted our voice to God in praise. We, sure, we could listen to somebody else praise. But even here, when we have special music or someone singing a special song before I preach on a Sunday, we still sing along with them. You know why? Because it's not about entertainment. It's about worship to God. And God wants to hear your voice cry out. Can you pray in your head? For sure. Can you pray silently? For sure. But there's something special about crying out to God. My wife and I, we pray every night before we go to bed. There's something special about the time that we have just the two of us in, in the dark before we fall asleep crying out to God, asking God to bless our family, asking God to bless our church family, asking God to bless other people in our church, asking God to give us grace and strength. There's something special about crying aloud unto God. If you've never done it, you should totally start today. Because here's the thing. Sometimes people, as I said before, like, well, I just feel weird talking to God out loud. Why? Because he's not really there? Well, that's just a lack of faith on your part because of course he's there. Well, I don't want people to think I'm weird or something. I don't really care what other people think when I'm going through difficulty. I just want God to hear me. And I want my heart to be poured out before God. Whatever I'm going through, God wants to hear your, you cry out. 
God wants to hear you cry. God wants to hear whatever's going on in your life. He cares, and he's promised to be there. And the awesome thing is that when we cry out to God, he promises to hear us. <coughs> I'm a terrible listener sometimes. I've usually got about 10 or 12 things that are going on in my brain that I'm trying to process through at any given moment, and sometimes people talk to me, and I just kind of like fog over. I'm probably the only person in the room that that happens to, I know. But just like, I, I, I'm, I hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, and I see your mouth moving. And I'm nodding as if I'm paying attention, but I'm really not there. Has anyone ever done that before? Just me, okay. Me and one other person. God bless both of you that are honest. Here's the thing. When you cry out to God, God's just not just like, did I hear something? I'm not really sure. God's not busy that like he can't stop what he's doing and hear you. And the fact that you think that like, again, you know, God is overwhelmed, you know, just again, God wants to hear you. God promises to hear you. Uh, again, he cries out to God. He makes a noise. Psalm 34, verse number three, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You have a father who's just sitting waiting. Sometimes our kids will yell at us from other rooms. I remember as a kid, we went to one kid's house and his parents were super rich and they had intercoms in all the rooms. It's like, ooh, that's like high tech, you know. And I always thought to myself, when I make it one day, I'm going to have intercoms in all my rooms. And then I actually had children and I was like, I don't want to hear from my kids, right? <laughs> I don't want people talking to me. But our kids still scream from across the house. And so, and sometimes we'll be sitting in the living room and my wife will be like, did you hear that? And I was like, I didn't hear anything. She's like, I think one of the kids is yelling. And we'll sit, stop, listen. Okay, we didn't hear anything. Oh, no, wait, somebody is yelling. God's not like that. God's not sitting up in heaven like, oh, I think I heard something. Could you repeat that again? God is the type of father who's just like, I've been waiting for this. Tell me more. Let me know. I'm, I'm with you. I'm here for you. He promises to hear. But here's the problem when fear, uncertainty, and doubt comes our way. When fear comes, we usually make the mistake of looking for an immediate exit. Hey, how do I get out of this, like, ASAP? When is this going to be over? I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And that's the wrong approach. But David makes the same mistake, particularly verse number 6 in our passage this morning. Particularly verse 5, first of all, fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said... Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. Have you ever been in a situation that you thought to yourself, I got to find a way out of here. I got to get this over and done with. Maybe you've gone so far to think to yourself that a change of location will change your problems. That's what David thinks. Man, if I could just have wings and I could fly away... All my problems would be over. Just wish I was like a bird and I'd just be gone. But here's the problem. That doesn't really work, does it? Because wherever you go, there you are. And nobody ever solved their problems by running from their problems. And we errantly feel like a change of venue would result in relief. If you're having financial problems, you think to yourself, like, man, I should move to Idaho. Because I could buy like five acres of land and a three-bedroom house for $150,000. All of my money problems would be gone. I don't know that Idaho solves all of your problems for you. Because here's the thing. Your Heavenly Father's promised to care for all of your needs. And if he's not caring for all of your needs, then one of two things have happened. Either... A, he's broken his promise, which is impossible. Or B, the things that you say you need, you don't really need. Or C, he's given you exactly what you need. You just chose to not steward it well. But God doesn't leave you without, that's for sure. But oh, if I could just move and get a lower cost of living, maybe a lower cost of living isn't the, the problem for you at all. Maybe it's a heart problem with you. Maybe it's a lack of contentment. Maybe it's a lack of peace of just where you're at right now. And I've seen so many people who have left Honolulu for a place where 
they had a lower cost of living and cheap housing, but they didn't have a solid Bible teaching church in their town, and they struggled. Look, I get it when you have to move with your job, you don't have any choice over the matter. I'm talking about people who purposely choose, hey, if I move to X, all my problems would go away. <laughs> it's funny, people are like, oh, it must be nice to live in Hawaii. Why would you say that? I don't know, because you get to go to the beach every day. <laughs> you don't understand how it works. I have, get this, I have the opportunity to go to the beach every day, proximity-wise. How often do I go? Maybe twice a year, if that, because I hate sand in my car. But, amen, I got one amen out of that. But here's the thing. People think, oh, you live in Hawaii, it must be so easy over there. You have no idea. No idea. You have problems like anybody else has got problems. It's always funny to me when people come to, to Honolulu and visit. They said, oh, I got off the airport and I thought somebody would give me a lay when I step off onto the tarmac. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I thought I'd get in the back of a Jeep and go through the, the jungles and the rainforest and find my way to my little cabin uh, out in the middle with, uh, you know, grass roof, thatch roof. No, we're a city like everybody else. We got problems like everybody else. We got crime, we got drugs, we got homelessness. We got sin out on display 24-7. We're just like any other city with any other problems anywhere. So a change of venue might be different, but it doesn't solve anything, that's for sure. And sometimes the solution is actually worse than the problem. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in our men's conference. Uh, Pastor Chris Chadwick was preaching from the book of Genesis about Abraham and how Abraham and Sarah had gone through Egypt because of a famine in the land. And he got to Egypt and he says, hey, tell everybody that you're my sister because if not, they're going to kill me and they're going to take you. And so they lied and came up with this great solution. Ended up being more of a problem than it was to actually just be honest. And so sometimes we think we can find our way out of this mess that we're in by either changing locations or changing things up and come to find out it didn't solve anything at all. There's a lady in our church, uh, man, probably, probably five years ago. She was in a job that she really enjoyed. She found fulfilling. It fit her gift set, her skill set. She loved the mission uh, of the company that she was working for and all the work that they did. But she had some coworkers who were just hard to get along with. Some workplace drama and some gossip and stuff like that. And she said, Pastor, I just, I've had it up to here with this. You know, I hate all the backstabbing and all the gossip that takes place in the break room. And I just can't handle it anymore. And I found another job. Great. And she starts her new job, and after her first week, she came back the next Sunday, I knew she was starting that Monday, and so I've been praying for her all week, and I see her on Sunday, I say, hey, how's your new job? She said, I quit. What? And she's like, yeah, long story short, I, I didn't like the job, I wasn't cut out for the position, that uh, I didn't care for the mission of the organization, I felt like it was a round peg and a square hole, and it just, I didn't like the people there, and it was just a drag, and just the very first week, I dreaded going to work. <laughs> she said, I called my old company and asked if they would have me back. I said, what they say? She said, they said no. <laughs> what are you going to do now? She's like, I have no idea. She's like, oh. But here's what happened. She had a bad day at work, and she says, hey, I'm out of here. I already got a new job. Didn't give a two weeks notice, just like left. Because she had found the solution to her problem. She didn't want to sit and grind it out and work it out and figure out the problem. She just wanted to change the venue because that would fix everything, but it didn't fix anything. And so when we look at going through times of difficulties and trials, the answer isn't always a quick exit. Because many times God doesn't calm the storm, but God calms our hearts in the storm. God doesn't make your problems go away. God just gives you great peace in the midst of your problems. And I absolutely detest, abhor, hate is not too strong of a word, for a fake gospel that says that Jesus came to this earth and died to take all of your problems away, and you're just going to cruise through life in the blessings and goodness of God. That's a lie. Jesus came to deliver you from your number one problem, which is not poverty, it is your sinful state. Jesus died for your sins, not for your bank account. Jesus died to forgive you of your wrong that you had done against God, not to set you up in a better apartment and your kids in a better school. Jesus didn't die for that. So again, a prosperity gospel, which is so popular amongst false Christianity today, is no gospel at all. 
because it's empty, because Jesus died for the sins of the world. Did Jesus promise to give us an abundant life? Sure. But an abundant life doesn't mean health, wealth, and prosperity. It means the fullness of the Holy Spirit living inside the believer. That's an abundant life. That's the good stuff. So again, for us as Christians, we need to get through our brain that just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we will be immune from problems that come our way. It doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go through difficult times. I remember as a very young in my faith, I was nine years old, and my grandmother got cancer, lung cancer. I mean, this is back in the 80s. She got lung cancer. She had a lifelong smoker. She got lung cancer. She had tumors on her brain. She gone through chemo, radiation, wasted away to nothing, lost all of her hair, lost kind of her mental faculties. I'd spend the night with her sometimes, and she'd leave a cigarette burning on the, the counter, and I remember her telling me, don't tell your mom and dad that I, I did that. She'd leave stuff on the stove that would catch on fire or burn, and she said, please don't tell anybody that that happened. It was hard to watch. But I remember thinking, God answers prayer. And so as a kid, nine years old, I began to pray that my granny's cancer would go away. I mean, I prayed my guts out as much as a nine-year-old boy can. Every single day, every single night, God healed granny of her cancer. She went back and got a scan, and guess what? It didn't go away. It was worse. She ended up passing away. I remember standing at the graveside of her funeral thinking to myself, I thought God answered prayers. I thought, why, if God loves me, why would he let me down like this? There's a lot of confusion. And again, at nine years old, you can't process all those pieces together. I, I didn't attend a, a solid Bible teaching church that would help you put those pieces together. I just felt like, man, God robbed me. But here's the worst part. We grow up as adults. And when things don't go our way, we think, hey, God robbed me. Hey, I was supposed to get promoted, but some knucklehead got promoted. A dirtbag. Hey, I was supposed to get this opportunity, and somebody else got that opportunity. What happened to me? Hey, when's my time coming? Hey, look at all these people that don't follow Jesus, and they're happy. When do I get to be happy? And we feel like God's robbed us. You missed the point. God does not give you everything that you want. Because here's the thing. If God listens to me and, and pays attention to my laundry list of things that I want, he's no longer God, I am. If God just does stuff, everything that I said, say, he's not God, I am. And if I just give God a laundry list of stuff that I want and God just gives it, then God's not God, he's just an idol giver. So many times we find ourselves in the midst of a storm and we're like, God, would you, cause, would you stop all this? And God says, no, just hang tight. I got you. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, God, I don't want you to get me. I want to handle this on my own. You need to cause this to stop, and then I'll take it from here. And God says, no. But here's the thing. Escapism isn't a strategy. Running away from your problems isn't a strategy. Oh, if I had wings like a dove, I could fly and leave all this behind. Yeah, but you don't have wings, and you can't fly, and you can't leave all this behind. That's not a strategy. Well, I'll just move. I'll just quit. <laughs> it's always funny to me that uh, people who you know change jobs every 90 days, everywhere that they go, their bosses are jerks. Isn't that crazy? Like you worked at seven places in the last 12 months and every single one of your bosses was a jerk. That's terrible. What awful luck you have. Or maybe there's a problem with you. But again, running doesn't fix anything. If you don't fix what's broken inside, you'll never find true healing. If you don't, not willing to stick out the process that God has you through, you'll never find the strength that comes from the other side. You see, we as, as parents, if you ever had children, you, you love your kids and you want what's best for them. As your kids begin to walk, you see them take their first couple of steps, you're like, oh, I just took a couple of steps. Oh my goodness, she just walked from the coffee table over to the couch. And then sometimes you sit there and you see them and they're, they're going back and forth like this and you think, they're going to make it. No, they're not going to make it. And they face plant face first, right? And you tell them, get back up. But what we as parents don't do is we don't go over to our kids that are about to fail and catch them every time 
and then hold their fingers and walk with them every time they decide to go somewhere. Why? Because then they'll never learn to walk. We don't take our kids out of every situation and fix it for them because that doesn't fix anything. Sometimes God says, you just need to sit on this for a minute and walk through it. It's not going to be pleasant, but you just need to do it. We've taught our kids who have gone through stuff in school. Hey, I'm being bullied at school. We'll take you out of that school and put you in a school where you won't be bullied. Good luck with that. Or we can give our kids the tools they think they need for life to fix the problem that's broken and move forward. Hey, there's going to be awful people everywhere. Hey, there's going to be difficult people. And you need to learn now at 10 years old that you just don't need to let that bother you. That there are always going to be terrible people. There will always be people that bully you. And you just need to learn to deal with difficult people now. You say, you're a terrible father. No, I'm a loving father who wants to give my kids the tools to succeed. God is a loving father who wants to give you the tools that you need to succeed. Running from your problems doesn't fix anything. And so he says, I wish I had wings I could fly, but I can't. So now I just got to deal with it. So what do we do in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this difficulty that we can't get out of? Here's the thing, you need peace. And peace comes from constant communion with God. Okay, I'm stuck in this. I can't get out of it. I don't have any answers. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I just need to spend some time with God. I need to trust God. Take a look at verse number 16 in our passage, Psalm 55, 16. Ask for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening, morning, at noon, I'll pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Hey, I'm going to walk with Jesus all throughout the day. The Bible tells us that we should pray without ceasing. Hey, I hope you have some time with God in the morning before you head out for your day, but don't stop praying then. Pray throughout the rest of the day. Pray on the way to work. Pray while you're at work. Pray on your lunch break. Pray in the afternoon at work. Pray on your way home from work. When you get home, you should probably pray some more. When you eat dinner, you should pray. Before you go to bed, you should spend some time in prayer. If you're married, you should pray with your wife, your husband. If you've got kids, you should pray with your kids. Constantly praying. And guess what? That's going to bring some peace over time. It might not happen immediately. But here's what Philippians chapter 4 promises. That if we pray and go to God with all of our problems, he says, don't worry, don't be anxious. But by all things, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep. That word keep means to protect your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. It's a promise. Constant communion, constant prayer, constantly going to God with my problems will give me the peace that I need to walk through those times. Take your fear to God and pray all the time, all the time. I was cleaning some stuff out of one of our cars uh, this past week, and um, there was some stuff laid on top of a spare tire in the back. And so I lifted all this stuff off this spare tire, and I look at this spare tire, and the spare tire was cracked and dry rotted. I was like, well, that's not going to help anybody with a flat tire, that's for sure. And you know what I did? I threw everything back in the back of the trunk, I shut the trunk, and then I walked off, and I totally forgot about it until just this morning. And sometimes we treat prayer like that spare tire. Like, hey, I think it's back there in the trunk if I need it. And only to find out that <laughs> my spare tire that I had isn't really in any shape to be done anything with. So I'm telling you this. Make sure your relationship with God is tight. Make sure that it's good. Make sure that your prayer life and the lines of communication between you and God are wide open. Because when you need them, you're really going to need them. And while God promises to hear your prayer, did you know that there's actually things that you can do personally to keep God from hearing your prayer? The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, God's ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. God's hands are not heavy that it cannot save. But your iniquity, your sin has separated you from your Father that he will not hear. Whew. David in the Psalms goes on to say this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I know that there's sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So your prayer life is always destroyed by unrepentant sin. So man, if there's something not right in your life, confess that to God. Get it over and done with. Get it off your back so that the lines of communications are freed up and God hears me. Look, when you're in the midst of a trial, the number one person you need to make sure that things are right with is God. 100% of the time. 
So if there's not anything, something that's not right, man, make it right. And make sure that you go back to God time and time and time again. And I want to encourage you to train your heart to crave time with God. For me, I'm a routine person. I'm a, I like to get in a rhythm of things. I get up at 5 a.m. I spend time in the Word. I spend time in prayer. I go to the gym and work out. After that, I come back. I make almost the exact same thing for breakfast almost every single day of the week. And I spend some time in prayer, and I jump into my day and get done what needs to get done. And here's the thing. If I wake up at 7 o'clock, I feel like my whole day is shot. Like, I don't even know how to function at this point because my routine is off. My rhythm is off. But I'm telling you this, the days that I begin to move on with whatever's going in life that I haven't spent time with God, I feel like everything like hasn't even started yet because that's like the, the kickoff of my day. And so like for me, I, I feel like things just aren't right with my day until I spend time with God. To, honestly, I wasn't always that way, but I had to train myself that way. For all, I'll be really honest with you. For me, for a long time, it was coffee that was like that, Right? If I haven't had like two cups of coffee, and it's so funny when people drink coffee, like some people drink like four ounce cups of coffee. What is that? That's like an appetizer cup of coffee, right? People buy me coffee mugs and stuff like that, and I always appreciate the sentiment behind it, but it's like an eight ounce coffee mug? I need like four of these to like get started, you know? I like the, the cups that are like bowls with a handle on the side. That's what I'm talking about, right? But like I used to be like, hey, I, I can't function until I've had a couple of cups of coffee in me. And that, that kind of gets me going and it says, hey, the day's here. Let's get after it. But then that kind of shifted to my time with God is like that. Hey, I can't really get after it until I spend time with God. Hey, my day doesn't start until I spend time with the scriptures. Hey, I don't have the power that I need for the rest of the day until I spend time in prayer. So I encourage you to train your heart to crave time with God. Psalm 63, verse number one, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in the dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory as I've seen in the sanctuary because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Talking about craving God. Next, we see in this passage the ability to endure for the long haul requires us that we carry, that God carries our burdens and our fears for us. If you want to be walking with Jesus 20 years from now in a right relationship, you got to realize you can't do all this on your own. And for me, I'm a very proud, stubborn person, and the hardest thing that I've had to do in my life is tell God, I can't handle this. You're going to have to take it. And here's the thing. When we feel like we're confessing some terrible weakness to God, like, oh, I can't handle this. You've got to take it from me. God goes, yeah, no kidding. I knew that already. Thank you. Because again, if you go back to Paul's story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he asked God to take this from him three times and God said no every time, but here's what God did say. My grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect, made complete in your weakness. God never intended you to carry it anyways. You were never meant to carry your burdens alone. And we feel like at some level of weakness if we have to depend on God, God's like, no, 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 that's step one in doing this the right way. That's step one in giving you the peace that your heart craves. That's step one in giving you courage over your fears that you have. Trusting me, that's step one. First Peter chapter five, verse number seven, says, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And again, I've heard that passage preached probably three dozen times by different pastors over the years. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Man, what a great promise from God's word, First Peter chapter 5. But I've, I've never, ever in my life heard someone preach that passage of scripture and connect verse 7 with verse number 8. Casting all your care, for he careth for you. For the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Those two are right next to each other in the scripture, and they're connected. Here's the thing, you try to carry your burden on your own, the devil's looking for somebody who's laden down with the cares and concerns of this world. The devil's looking for the most fearful one in the pack. And he's circling, waiting for the person who's the slow one in the pack, who's burdened down with all of their cares, and that's the one that he attacks. And he wants to not just bite you, nibble a little bit, he wants to devour you. And so please understand Keeping the devil at bay requires that we cast our care upon the Lord. Otherwise, we're a sitting duck. 
Psalm 55, verse number 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55, 22. But here's the good news about the local church, and I, I love the church, I really do. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about the building or the, uh, the cool stuff that's going on here or the, the big screen. When we talk about the church, we're talking about the people, a called-out assembly of, of people that belong to Jesus. I love the local church. Because here's the good news. God often uses other Christians to help shoulder the burden with you. It's not just about casting your cares upon the Lord. It's about casting your cares on your brothers and sisters in Christ. That one of the benefits of being a child of God is that now you've got a new set of brothers and sisters that you never met before. These are the people that are going to help carry the burden with you. There's a man in our church who I consider a friend. He told me about a month or so ago, he said, oh, pastor, me and my, my wife, we moved. And I said, oh, man, I know you guys are moving. He says, oh, we only, we only moved 10 floors down in the building that we're in. And he says, similar type of unit. He said, but just 10 floors down. And I said, man, you should have told me. I said, I would love to help you move. And he was just like, no, I did it myself. I said, well, did you hire somebody? No, I did it myself, literally did it myself. And I was just like, dude, if you told me, I could have like four or five guys there. We could grab some pizzas. How long did it take you? Three days. Three days? His pastor was awful. I'm trying to move couch in the elevator by myself and move our bed in the elevator by myself. And it's just like, he said it took forever. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was in a bad mood. And I snapped at my wife and everything else. And it's just like, I said, dude, I got like four guys who could have knocked it out in like three, four hours. Like, why didn't you call somebody? What do you think he said? Anybody want to help? I didn't want to bother anybody. Well, that's dumb. All of us wanted to help. Like, I can name a dozen guys in our church that personally know this guy who would gladly show up on a Friday or Saturday and go in and knock everything out in a couple of hours. But he didn't want to bother anybody. But what did he do? He burned himself out. He was exhausted. He was mad at his wife. You know, and it's just like, why? Dude, that's what the church is for. Because we rejoice with them that rejoice and we weep with them that weep. Hey, you got promoted at work last week? Man, praise God, high five. That's awesome. I'm pumped for you. Man, I'd love to come to your promotion ceremony. Hey, you're retiring? Man, I'd love to come to your retirement ceremony. Congratulations, job well done. Hey, your brother passed away? I'm really sorry to hear that. What can I do to help? Hey, it's not enough to just pray. I want to do more. What can I do? How can I get involved? Hey, how are you doing? Are you okay with that? Tell me about how you feel. Tell me about your relationship with your brother and what that feels like. You lost your job? <sighs> hurts my heart to hear that. What's your, what's your plan? What's the next step? How can I help? What can I do to get the word out? You know, What type of work are you looking for? Man, I want to find out. I promise you I'm going to pray for you every single day. That's what, that's what the church does. You might say, well, I don't really know that many people in our church. Man, we have small groups three times a week. I stay out on the sidewalk until the very last person leaves every single week. Man, you, you need to get to know people because these are the people that are going to help you through difficult times. And you cannot, I'll say this with my dying breath if I have to, you cannot be a mature Christian and follower of Jesus if you're not plugged in to a local Bible preaching church. You just can't do it. And that's not my thoughts, that's what the Bible says. It's not like, well, in my estimation, that you can't. No, the Bible says that we've been given the church for the maturity, for the perfecting of the saints. You got to be here. You got to get plugged in. You got to get to know people. And if you don't, if you pass through once a month and just stop by in the first one in or last one in and first one out, you'll never experience the benefit of being able to shoulder the burden with other people and allow other people to carry your burden with you. You're just not. So, but that's a benefit of the local church. We see in this passage also, verse number 23, that the level of peace that we have is directly related to the level of faith that we have in God. So, mind you, there's 23 verses here. The first 22 verses, he just pours his guts out. I have people that hate me, people that want me dead, people that have hurt me deeply. I'm scared. I'm trembling. I'm overwhelmed with horror. If I could run away, I would. If I could find somewhere else to go, I promise you I'd be there this afternoon. 
But then somebody who I thought was a friend wasn't a friend at all. They hurt me. I thought I could trust them, but I found out that I couldn't. But I cry out to you. But this person, again, he goes back, hey, I cry out to God, and God promises to save me. Then he goes back and talks about this person again. He had words as smooth as butter, but he actually was out to hurt me. He says in verse number uh, 21, his words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. He just wanted to hurt. And he says, verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee, and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Here's what he says in verse 23. Be thou, O God, but thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. Verse 23, you know what he says? He kind of dusts his hands off like, I'm not going to mess with these folks. God's going to take care of them. And if they're bloody, deceitful men who just seek my hurt, God won't allow them to live out half of their days. You've been hurt, you've been wronged, join the club. It's interesting, sometimes I'll talk with folks and they say, oh, I just struggle getting plugged into church because I've been hurt before. Well, I've gotten bad service at a restaurant, but I didn't stop eating out. Oh, it's, it's been really bad hurt. I got food poisoning at a restaurant. I still eat out, you know? Love to eat, you know? Hey, hey and I'll just shoot you straight. If you've never been hurt by a church someone in the church or a pastor before, you haven't been attending church long enough. Because you will. And here's the thing. If I hurt you, and again, if you hang out here long enough, I will. I will repent, ask for your forgiveness, seek to make everything right. But I'm not perfect. Again, sometimes people talk to me and I got that glazed over look. They're like, my pastor doesn't even care about me. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm just human. And people in church sometimes do ugly things. People in church are still sinners. You hang around long enough, you're going to get hurt. But, again, God's going to take care of that. But I will trust in the Lord. That's what he says, verse number 23. Hey, God's going to handle all this other drama that's going on in my life. I'm just going to sit and trust God. And the level of peace that you have will be equal to the level of faith that you have in your situation. You got a lot of faith Hey, God's going to work this out. I'm not going to sweat this. He's sovereign. He's always been good. He's never left me hanging. I look back at my entire life, and I just see God's faithfulness after God's faithfulness after God's faithfulness, and he's going to fix this too. And the level of peace that you have, same level. God's forgot me. He doesn't even know where I'm at. I keep praying. Nothing happens. I'm just going to take things into my own hands because God doesn't care. I don't even matter to him. I don't even know if he hears me when I pray. Low faith, low amount of peace. You got no faith, you're gonna have no peace at all. We took a look at it several weeks ago. The apostles on the Sea of Galilee in a boat with Jesus, and a storm came. And they didn't say, Hey, let's wait this storm out and ride it out for a bit and see what happens. No, what did they do? They immediately went and grabbed Jesus and said, You don't even care that we're about to die. And Jesus says, How is it that you have, here's what he says, no faith? No faith, no peace. So if you have no faith, you will have no peace. So through this process, I'm sure to trust the Lord. He knows where I'm at. I've cried out to him. I've told him what's going on in me. And I just need to trust the process because God is always faithful. Psalm 37, verse number five, commit that way into the Lord and trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. So four quick thoughts and we're done this morning. First of all, settle into your fears. You might be here for a minute. You see, when fear comes, we want an immediate release, don't we? Oh, that I heard something outside. Go see what it was. Oh, it was the rake. It fell over. Oh, okay, I can go back to sleep now. But nobody hears something go bump in the night, and we say, oh, I'll check it out tomorrow morning. No, why? Because fear wants an immediate release. Hey, get me out of this, like right now. Hey, I think I hear somebody breaking into our car. Okay, I'll check it out in the morning. No, like right now, if somebody's breaking into our car, call the police. And we're going to peek out the blinds until the police come, right? Why? Because we need to know what's going on so that our fears can be taken away. But here's the thing. God doesn't work that way. 
And again, I'm going to say something that might sound harsh, but I hope that in the end it ends up helping you. God will not always make your problems go away. Facts. Because here's a crazy thought. If God is sovereign, and he is, that means that God has every single thing planned out. Is it possible? Is it possible that God has sent you in the midst of problems and suffering? Is that possible? It's not only possible and plausible, it's reality. God purposely put me in something that's really difficult and hard? Yeah, get comfortable. You might be here for a minute. You say, well, that sounds awful. Actually, it's not. It's the hand of your loving Father. For example, let's just say that I want to be a better runner. What can I do to be a better runner? Anybody want to help me with that? Run. Run. Well, should I stretch? For sure. Calisthenics? Definitely. Good diet? Yeah. Plenty of hydration? No doubt about it. But you're not going to be a faster runner unless you actually run. Hey, I want to get stronger. I want to increase the weight that I can put on my back squat, say, for example. What do I do to get stronger? Add more weight to the bar. Get under it more often. Well, see, that's the thing. I want to get stronger. I want to get faster, but I don't actually, like, work to get it. It doesn't work that way. Oh, I want a strong faith that I can handle anything when it comes my way. Great. You're going to go through some training times to build you up to that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Well, that's the only way that it comes. Strong faith is forged in difficult times. It's the only way that you get it. And so when difficult times comes, instead of looking for the eject button, sometimes we just need to, to lean back, take a deep breath, pour my heart out to God, and just sit back and wait. You might be here for a while. I talked to one of my friends this morning, had a medical procedure. They said, oh, we'll have the results back to you in a week. Guess what? It's been a week and a half. No answers yet. So they got an appointment tomorrow. Hopefully get some answers. Hopefully. But we can sit and wring our hands. We can log in and refresh our, our online chart that we have to see if any results have come back. And when the results come back, we're going to Google what the results are to see what we have, Right? I'm only saying that because it's never actually happened to me. I'm sure that somebody else has. But no, we panic Why? because we want an immediate release. Hey, you might not get that. Just hang tight for a minute. God's faithful. He got you. Oh, so, so that means that my test results will come back negative. No, I didn't say that. I said God's got you. And here's the thing. God's plan will follow through regardless of what happens in your life. And you can trust him. Lean into God like never before. He's your source of peace. If you're struggling, God wants to give you peace. The Bible calls God the God of all peace. You will never find peace at the bottom of a bottle of alcohol. You'll never find peace at the bottom of a prescription pill bottle. You'll never find peace in that next relationship. You'll never find peace in a change of address. You'll only find peace in the presence of God. And sometimes people misunderstand what peace means. When we think of war versus peace, we think that peace makes all of our problems go away. That's not what the peace of God is about. The peace of God is a calm in the depths of your soul and spirit, knowing that your Father knows exactly what's going on, and He's got this. And now I can just... I don't have to worry about it anymore because my father is in charge and I can trust him. And so that peace that we need, it comes from God. And sometimes I talk to guys and they say, oh, you know, when I get home from work, I have a couple of beers. That's just my way to unwind. And I know what you're saying. You're trying to find peace in that. You're short-circuiting the process. When you're trying to find peace outside of God and the things of this world, You're taking it out of God's hands, the ability to give you the peace that your heart craves. Next, allow God to use other Christians to strengthen you for the journey. Don't be like my friend and be like, I'm going through a lot, I just don't want to bother anybody. No, please bother me. That's that's what I'm here for, to be bothered. I want to know. 
I mean, there's been people before who have had surgery, and I found out like a week later when they're not at church. Hey, I missed you in church on Sunday. Is everything good? They said, oh, I had surgery two weeks ago. What? I didn't, I, I didn't know. I didn't want to bother you. No, no, no. That's what we Christians do. We got each other's back. We're praying for each other. We're shouldering the burden together. And just allow other Christians to be able to do that. And I know for a lot of guys especially, we feel like asking for help is a sign of weakness. Dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been at Lowe's with a 5 8 inch set sheet of 4 by 8 plywood putting it on the top of my wife's minivan with straps. And I mean, I'm like manhandling this sheet of plywood. If you never held four by eight sheet of plywood that's like that thick, it's heavy. Putting it on the roof of the minivan, struggling under the weight of it. And some guy comes by and he says, hey, bud, you need a hand with that? And what do I say? Nope, got it. <laughs> top of the minivan scratched to pieces, you know. I got it. I'm good. Why? Because it's Home Depot, right? It's like raw man stuff. Like, if I can't carry a sheet of plywood, there's something wrong with me, right? I don't need your help. They're like, look at you, bro. You probably wouldn't be any help, you know? But here's the thing. We do that in life too, right? Hey, can I pray for you this week? Nope, I'm good. And it, it's interesting sometimes. People sometimes join our small groups, and, and I get it if you're a little bit nervous at first, or it's your first time or something like that. I'm talking about people like week after week. Hey, how can we pray for you this week? Nah, nothing. Everything's good in my life. Everything. Yeah, everything. It's blessed. I'm good. Man, you might have a week of that, but if you have three months of like everything is good in your life and you don't need anything, somebody's just not being honest. Because we need. Here's the thing. I want to know what's going on with you. I need to know what's going on with you. And look, if you've been attending a movie caller for more than a month, you don't have my cell phone, you should plug it into your phone like today because I want to know how I can pray for you. I've got a prayer list in my office where I pray through every single person in our church. And if you're here, I already pray for you. It's no bother to bring in a request before the Lord and know what's going on with you. Allow other Christians to help you shoulder the burden, because you can't do it alone. Finally, cry out to God. He promises to hear. Promises. You don't have to do it by yourself. He's there. He's waiting. He'll give you the peace that your soul craves. And he promises to be there. I remember as a, a kid, my, uh, my dad owns a body shop in Kentucky, and he's self-employed, has been uh, my whole life. And uh, my dad is one of the hardest working men I've ever met in my entire life, even to this day. He still works probably, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. He's a solid dude. Uh, but I remember sometimes after basketball practice when my dad was supposed to pick me up, I was sometimes the last kid to get picked up, and then sometimes I'd have to like use uh, the phone in the office because people didn't have cell phones, have to go to the school office and use the phone to call my dad. Every now and then it would be like my dad was running 10, 15 minutes late because he's working on a project that he had to find a stopping point for. A couple of times I called my dad, and he was just like, oh, that's right, I was just picking you up, I'll be right there, and he came. And he was always apologetic and felt terrible about it and stuff like that, but when I got out of basketball practice, I would sometimes be like, I hope dad's there, you know? I always have to call him or wait or something like that. Here's the thing. Your father in heaven, you never have to wonder if he's there. He's always there. You don't have to step outside and go, oh, I wonder if God's going to show up today. He's, always, he's already shown up. You can trust him. He's faithful and he's so, so near. Author Ed Wells, final quote, and we're done today. He said, nearness and presence will be recurring themes in God's words of comfort to fearful people. Of course, the earth belongs to the Lord, and as spirit, God is not bound by the limitations of space. He's everywhere at all times. When he underscores his presence, it means that he's working on behalf of his people. It means that he's here for them. He's an active, protecting, comforting presence. And when he says he's near, watch for his mighty acts. When he is near, he is really near. Man, I read that quote and that spoke to me. Like, man, when God shows up, he like really shows up. And when God promises to be there, just sit back and watch what God does because he's faithful like that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here without knowing for sure that God is your father because you have every reason in the world to be fearful. 
And so, again, it's not a matter of joining our church or becoming a Baptist. It's about knowing for sure your sins are forgiven. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians, who God is your father and you are his son, you are his daughter, man, no reason for you to live in fear this week. He's got this. Cry out to him. Let, let your request be made known unto the Lord, the Bible says, and just sit back and watch what God does as he gives you his peace that only he can give. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.